Amen. The last two weeks we have been contemplating, meditating on the topic of holiness. We've been considering the last few weeks how our God is holy. And we see in his word as it gone to Colossians 3 that he has made us to be holy. So as God's redeemed people, we have a destiny, and that destiny is to be holy. So why do I say that? Why, why are we saying that we are destined to be holy? Well, short answer is the Bible tells us so. But it says in the very beginning, if you go back in creation, back in Genesis, God created a holy people that would know him, that would be satisfied in him, that would bear his image and would then reflect his image, his character to the world and his character being holy. And everything that his people who are to be holy, everything that they would do would be a reflection of his glory. And so in the word, if you want to summarize all of these thoughts in one word, that word would be Worship. God created us to worship Him, to find supreme worth and value in God. And through Christ's death and resurrection, He is now pushing back the darkness of this world. And all of those who trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are part of His recreation. We've been born of His Spirit, not of the will of man, not of flesh, but born of God. And so in this room, you see what God has already begun, which is recreating a holy people out of this broken world that would display His glory, His character, to display His holiness. And this miracle, there is truly something miraculous that only God here can accomplish It's all about His grace. Only God can accomplish creating a holy people out of the brokenness that is humanity. And He, through the power of His Spirit, as we focus on Christ through His Word in community, what God is doing, He is slowly changing us from the inside out so that we will desire, here's the key, changing us to want to grow in holiness. This is the mystery as we've confessed the last few weeks, as we considered these thoughts, that indeed this miracle of being made holy like Christ really is a mystery. And there's there's a tension. We talked about this last week. There's a tension here, these two truths of one is position. And so we have been declared holy. We are, in God's eyes spiritually, we are right now holy. That is our position of holiness. And yet there is a practice And the practice is that we must intentionally progress in our actual holiness. And so sanctification is the lifelong process of growing and becoming more like Jesus. Becoming more holy. Maybe you're wondering, well, why? Why Why does God do it that way? Why, Why is it that whenever someone confesses faith in Christ and is converted, why right then and there does God not just... Make them perfectly, completely holy, not just declared holy, but and experience holy as well, and just glorify them instantly. 
Why does God leave us in this state of this tension of declared holy, but then having to become more holy? Why does God do that? Man, is this like a bad joke? No. No. God does it because he's more glorified that way. This lifelong process that for us can seem so slow and can seem just so painful, in God's eyes, it's happening very quickly. Because in light of eternity, what is one lifetime? And so it really isn't that slow, if you think about it. But God is more glorified with the day in, day out of us having to cling to him, focus on him, be desperate for him, coming back to him, doing it in community, and confessing that we are so needy of him, so desperate for him, that glorifies God. And that's how he wants it, for us to remember our place, to remember that we need him, that he doesn't need us, that we need him. So sanctification, this lifelong process, is pleasing and glorifying to God. And so today we're continuing the text. If you have a Bible, please turn to Colossians chapter 3. We've been looking at this chapter in this series. Called, talking about becoming who God has made you to be. Last week we looked at verses 5 through 11, that paragraph. We talked about becoming who you are. You are declared holy, so we're becoming that slowly. Today is becoming who you are part two, because it's the exact same thoughts. We're picking up where we left off. We're looking at Colossians chapter 3. Today we're looking at verses 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen holy ones and beloved, passionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing one another, and if one has a complaint against another, Forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Praise God. Incredible passage. The text we looked at last week, the first paragraph, verses 5 through 11, describes evil practices that we must stop. So we are called to kill our sinful desire. So you can think of last week's text as vices to deny. So vices being these evil entanglements that we looked at last week. So vices to deny. Today is same coin, opposite side of that coin. So last week was the negative on vices to deny, things to stop. Today, other side of the same coin. Today is virtues to develop. So same coin, other side. And so this is now talking today on we must, of course, kill our sinful desires, but we must also at the same time be developing new God-pleasing desires. So vices to deny and virtues to develop. You see, because all of us have desires, and we will never be empty of desire. That's just not possible. The way God made us, we have 
desires. We always will. And God meant it that way on purpose. So we will desire him. We're not robots. And so because of that, we're always going to have yearnings, longings, passions. And so we need to not be empty of desire. Instead, we need to replace Sinful desires, replace them with good desires for Christ. So it's a replacing. So they're talking about cultivating and having the kind of desires in our hearts that would lead us to continue to grow in our sanctification. And so the main idea for today is the same one it was from last week. It's the same text, which is believers are called to live consistently with who they are in Christ. And so we are called to live consistently with who we are in Christ, who we are. We already are holy. So now we must live that out consistently with killing and now today with developing new desires. And so there are three marks or three characteristics of someone that is actively cultivating a spirit of sanctification in them. And the first mark, the first characteristic is desiring the character of Christ. You're taking notes, you see it on the screen. So this is the first one, is desiring the character of Christ. And verse 12, it begins by saying, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's how he begins. Put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And so the words that are used here are really profound. He's describing you and me, those those that are following Jesus, and it's remarkable language. And so the words that are used in the opening of verse 12 was used in the Old Testament very commonly. Old Testament Israel was referred to as God's chosen ones, referred to as the holy ones and loved of God. So this is language that was used for Old Testament Israel. But at the same time, if you look in the New Testament, if you look at 1 Peter 2, Jesus is the one that was says chosen of God. Jesus is the one that is loved by the Father. Jesus is the Holy One of God. And so the same language that was used of Old Testament Israel is used of Jesus. And now that same language is being applied to all of those who belong to Jesus. And so who is this true Israel of God? The people who are in Christ. And so those who love And follow Jesus, belong to the people of God. So we are part of his new humanity, part of his family, his people, his kingdom. This is who we are. We have been set apart, and the word set apart just means holy. So we have been set apart, holy, to serve the king. So we're set apart for service to the sovereign. And this is a privilege. And we have to see it as such privilege to belong to God's people and to serve the king is a privilege. And so this language of being called chosen and holy and loved, understand who you are. You are deeply loved by God. Maybe you're here today and you're really struggling. Maybe you were invited and, and maybe you didn't stand up because that's a little bit scary, but you're here for the first time today and, and you're really struggling. And life's been really hard for you. Maybe it's your first time in a worship gathering in a pretty long time. You have to know this, that God loves you as you are right now. But he loves you too much to leave you where you are. 
which is what we're going to be looking at this morning on this call to be more like Christ. But you are loved. He says you are chosen by God, and despite our propensity to go chase after idols, he loves us, and he's chosen us, he's pursued us. And we're declared here holy. We're called holy. He says you are a holy one. We're declared holy because why? Jesus paid it all, and he's given us his spirit who is holy. Despite our weaknesses, in spite of our imperfections, we're declared he loved and chosen and holy. I don't know about you, but I read this and I see God's mercy upon me. And it's humbling. God's love for me is truly humbling. And these words that are inspired by God's Spirit describe who you are. Chosen, holy, and beloved. This is who you are. This is your identity. We talked about this last week. But we do not define ourselves in our temptations. We don't define ourselves by our struggles or our sins. We define who we are in light of Christ. And so, yes, you have your struggles. We all do. But deep down inside, you follow Jesus. You are chosen. You are holy. And you are deeply loved by the Father. And you belong to the Son and are indwelt by the Spirit. So this text is reminding us of this gorgeous, beautiful, divine tension of our position in Christ and the practice of growing in holiness. And so before God the Father, in Christ, through the Spirit, we are holy. And yet, the same text, same verse says, okay, in light of that, because of who you are, your identity, now do this. Put on then. This is who you are. This on. Put what on? What is this action? What is this command? Put what on? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So in the previous text, he had two lists of five sins to avoid. And now he says, here's five virtues to cultivate. Compassion. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. So this whole text here is addressed in the local church. And so the text here is harmony in the local church. And so we are new creatures, new creations in Christ. And so because of that, that truth, we must be compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient with people. So the focus that we're seeing here in verse 12 is on the person who is called to be patient. Here, this is important. He's not talking to the troublemaker he is not talking here in this text to the person that has caused conflict. He's talking to the person who is being called, who has been offended, who has been hurt, to show humility and meekness and patience and compassion. So do you want harmony in your relationships? The answer is yes. We all want harmony. Before you ask God to change the other person, ask God to change you. Long before you focus on him or her, look in the mirror first and say, God, change me. And I promise if you begin to pray that way and God begins to change your heart, it will directly impact the quality of that relationship that has been strained, even if the other person is the offending party. Verse 13 Continuing on, bearing with one another, 
And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And so he has a five list of, of virtues, and now he, he continues and he says, forgive. We call to forgive others because God has forgiven us. He says, bear one another because God does that with us. And so this whole chapter here, this whole section here is describing the character of Jesus. This is Christ's character. Jesus is compassionate. He is kind. He is humble. He is gentle. He is patient. And he forgives us despite the fact that we continue to sin. So this first mark of sanctification is desiring this kind of character, desiring the character of Christ. But just stop for a second. Think about Jesus. I mean, really, just for a moment, just meditate on who Jesus is and what he did. This is a man who touched lepers. Lepers were not allowed to be touched. They were outcasted. No one would ever touch a leper. It was was wrong and unclean. And yet Jesus touched lepers. He had compassion on those who were caught in adultery and said, go sin no more. He showed mercy to socially outcasted who were known as as evil and sinners and corrupted. He healed the sick. He revealed the glory of God through his words and through his actions. Jesus never once wronged a single person. He lived out grace and truth. And, And now think of this same man whom we love who is our passion. Picture him on the cross, drowning in his own blood, rejected, beaten, abandoned, alone, pierced, mocked, shamed, condemned as guilty. And he looks up at those that had just crucified him and are mocking him. And he cries out, Father, forgive them. That is supernatural love. That is only love that God can have. And it's what we are called to reflect. It's that same supernatural, divine love that you and I, through His Spirit, who is divine and supernatural, living in us, this is the exact same love and compassion and forgiveness that we are told to reflect. Verse 14, And above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Through His help, through His Spirit, we really can desire this character of Christ. And we can grow in our sanctification. We can. Is your life marked by harmony? Is it? Is your life marked by compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience? Do you forgive those who hurt you? I'm going to confess that not too long ago, I was confronted with this. Someone in my life who I care about really hurt me, 
and I, I felt mistreated, and I felt wronged, and I think anyone from my perspective who heard the story would agree that I was wronged. Maybe you would not take my side, but that's for a different day. I honestly felt mistreated and wronged, and I was hurt, and I was angry. I was really angry. And what was kind of scared me is I have my flaws, but anger is not usually one of them, and yet I'm human. And on this day, I was really angry. And I had all kinds of thoughts that, again, it kind of scared me because they're really dark thoughts on, on getting payback. And I wanted this person to know how much they had hurt me. I wanted this person to feel the pain that, that they had inflicted on me. But I praise God for his grace that I knew that acting out in any negative way would only cause more pain in my soul in that relationship. And it would draw me away from Christ. And I was already in anguish. And really, most of all, what I was desperate for was freedom. I was desperate to be free from this bitterness and this anger. Because when we're angry and we don't forgive, we're enslaved. And I just thought, man, I need someone to pray for me. And I was looking at my phone and I was like, who do I call? Which brother do I call first? And I put down the phone and I was like, no, I'm not going to call anyone. And I thought, I, I need Jesus to pray for me. I'm serious. I, I really thought that. And, and by his grace, I, I opened the word and I got on my knees and I was reading out of John 17. Which if you know that text, it's Jesus. The night that he was betrayed, he prays for his disciples. But it's glorious because he prays, he says, for those who will believe through their word. And so he prays for the 11 because the, the traitor had already left at that point. He prays for his disciples, but he prays for those who will one day in the future believe. And so he was praying for me. And I read these words. And Jesus says, I'm praying for them. I pray for those you have given to me. I'm glorified in them, and I pray that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I ask that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent And I was just reading and meditating, crying, and I remembered who I am in Christ, my identity. Like, I preach this stuff, but I preach to myself, too. And I want to live this out, remembering my identity and remembering who Christ is. And I, I felt God's love just flood into me, just literally flooding into me. I felt this bitterness and this anger literally melt away. And I could talk to that person and say, I forgive you, and let's work this out. And we did. And I praise our God who is our healer, who empowers us to focus on Christ, through empowers us to have his character and to forgive when we are the ones who are wronged. You see, when we seek to make others pay for wronging us, 
we further damage the relationship. Just think, did God change you by punishing you? Did God change you by condemning you? No. God transformed our hearts when we felt the kindness and the grace and the mercy of God. That's when we're transformed. When we realize our sin. And then we see his compassion for us and how Christ loves us and sacrifices himself for us. We're overwhelmed and then we respond with love for Jesus and that's when we are transformed. And there are people in your life that don't deserve your forgiveness. Hear me. There are people in your life that don't deserve it. They've really hurt you and don't deserve your forgiveness. But that's the whole point of the gospel. It's not about deserving. It's not about earning. I don't deserve God's forgiveness. I don't deserve God's grace or mercy, and you don't deserve it either. And yet God is so good to us that he forgives us. And he has mercy with us. He's gracious to us. And so we who have received so much grace are called here by God's word we have received grace, we're called to extend grace to others. And so if you think you're growing in your faith, and you think that you're growing in sanctification, but your relationships are not marked by compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, harmony, forgiveness, sacrificial love, then think again. Because sanctification is demonstrated in community. That's what we're seeing here in the Bible. It's all about loving God and loving others. So you can say you're growing, but it has to be demonstrated in how we live with other people. So the first mark of sanctification is desiring the very character, truly yearning and wanting to have the character of Christ. Second, number two, second mark is desiring the peace of Christ. Desiring the peace. This is in the text. I'm not making these up. We always want to see our main points that are flowing from the text. Verse 15. And let the peace of Christ, there it is, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So first talking about the character of Christ, I'm talking about having the, desiring the peace of Christ. So this, this word peace, and, and the New Testament was written in Greek, and so this New Testament Greek word for peace is grounded in the Old Testament Hebrew word for peace, which is shalom. And so shalom refers to peace, but it's more of a completeness, a wholeness. And so shalom refers to being in a state of harmony with God's holiness. And so we live in a world that I'm sure it's not just me, I observe our world around us. We live in a world that is stressful, that is anxious and restless and hectic and fast-paced, right? Yes. We live in a world that is really anxious. Our world is not marked by shalom. It's not marked by peace and harmony with God and with one another. It's not. And yet we read here in this text that in the church, it says in the body of Christ. So in the church, 
The peace of Christ should rule in our hearts. And so peace, harmony with God and each other, the sense of of harmony and completeness should rule in the body of Christ. Well, why is that? Because we have the Spirit of God that lives in us. This is only because of God's work. Only because of being made new in Christ. This is possible only because of God's divine initiative. See, the church is where Christ is currently ruling. So Christ is the king. And the body of Christ, the church, believers, are the people that confess him as king and that are submitting to his kingship. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, it's better to understand it in terms of kingship. It's not a location. His kingdom isn't a place. His rule, his kingdom is where he is ruling and he is ruling in our hearts. He's our king. So the church is not of the kingdom. The church is people who are in his kingdom that submit to his rule. And so his peace, says, is ruling in our hearts. See, we live in a dark and in a very broken world but where there is no peace. And yet, in the walls of the church, among his people, we are a colony of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. We're not of this world. We're spiritual expatriates. And so we have peace. We have peace with God. Because Christ died for us. We're reconciled to the Father. And we can rest secure in knowing that we are accepted and loved by God. And this gives us peace that the world does not have. We can have harmony with one another. Real harmony with one another. Because every one of us has harmony with God. This is the beauty of being part of a church. And under the Spirit's inspiration, the Apostle Paul adds at the end of the sentence, and be thankful. So he's talking about, about peace, the peace of Christ. And then he adds that short phrase, and be thankful. And so he's connecting peace and gratitude. What exactly is a connection between peace and gratitude? Well, when we're not thankful, so when we're ungrateful, we're showing that we believe that we deserve more. You're like, I deserve more than what I have. And so this, this entitlement mentality that tends to permeate in our world today will lead to a lack of gratitude. But we need to go much deeper. That's not deep enough. That's some observations, and it's true. Then you get to the heart of the matter. So deep down inside, at our root, a lack of thankfulness shows, hear me, lack of thankfulness shows that we believe that we are sovereign. A lack of thankfulness is revealing that deep down inside, you desire to be sovereign. So ingratitude reveals a desire to be autonomous from God. Follow me here. We're talking about not being content. We're talking about dictate to God how our lives should be, how it should turn out, what I should look like, how much money I should make, who I should marry, what my job should be like. I'm thankful with what I have. I should have more. 
I wish I were God and I were in control so I could dictate what my life looked like. And so ingratitude reveals a desire for autonomy from God, the desire to be sovereign. I want you to picture someone, you know, just mental picture time. Picture a person who has a very typical consumer, you know, shopper's mentality. And this person approaches Jesus and thinks, okay, Jesus, I'm going to give up my sovereignty and I'll, I will submit myself to your sovereignty, Jesus. So I, I'm sovereign, Jesus, but I'm going to give it up. I'll submit myself to your sovereignty. But in exchange for something, I want goods and services that you can provide me. And so I'll give up my sovereignty if you give me joy and prosperity and peace. And so I'll give up as long as you give me what it is that I want. And I'll follow you as long as it's all working out and this business transaction is, is still working out for me. And so everything is fine with this person until their marriage falls apart. Everything is fine until they don't get married like they wanted to, maybe. Or everything is fine until the stock market crashes. Or the job promotion doesn't work out. Or the medical report is devastating. And all of a sudden, that person no longer has any gratitude for the blessings that they do have. That person is not grateful for having Christ and eternity that promise and hope in Jesus. No, at that point, that person is thinking, this business transaction is not working out. I don't like it anymore. We, we had a deal, Jesus. I would give up my sovereignty if you give me goods and services. You're not living up to your end of the agreement, Jesus. Things aren't working out. So we're left devastated. Here's the point. We don't have any autonomy. We aren't sovereign. You did not make yourself. By creation, God owns you. And he put his stamp. It's his image You reflect him. You're not your own. By nature of creation, God owns you. You belong to him. And then beyond that, in redemption, Jesus paid the price to buy. You've been bought with the price. You are not your own. Therefore, glorify God with your body. We don't belong to ourselves. And so when we bring this mentality of we're sovereign, that we have autonomy, we give it up, so that we can get something from Jesus. We're saying, Jesus, I want what I can get from you. And that is not the call of the gospel. The call to follow Jesus is the call to admit the truth, which is, Jesus, you are the king, and I belong to you. And I find my joy in you. And I just want you, not what I can get from you. So this consumer mentality breeds a lack of gratitude. But at its root, a desire to be God. Do you want to be content? I mean, really. I'm talking to you truly want to live a life where you're content with the life God has given to you. Do you want to be grateful? 
True contentment comes from resting in Christ. Really resting in Him. No matter how terrifying or hard life gets, we have hope in Christ. We can enjoy Him no matter the circumstances. We truly can. In the face of disappointment, we can still be thankful because we have Christ. And we can rest knowing that he is working all of our circumstances for our good and for his glory. And we have eternity awaiting us. We're going to enjoy him and each other forever. We have peace, true peace. And that leads to gratitude. See, but here's a paradox for you. Having peace War with your sin. Isn't that crazy? But it's true. We just read this paragraph last week. War, battle against desires of the flesh. And so to have peace with God means that you're at war with your sin. And resting in Christ gives us the strength and the security to be violent and to battle against those sinful desires. So in the church, talking about being at peace, are you at peace? As much as it's up to you, are you at peace with everyone in this room? Is there someone in this room that you are not at peace with? Do you have to be reconciled to someone? If so, do it soon. If possible, do it today. Go be at peace. Because with peace with God, we can be at peace with others. So the second mark here is having the peace, desiring the peace of Christ, and not looking elsewhere with idols for peace. Number three, the third mark as we continue is desiring the word of Christ. Verse 16 reveals the key to developing these godly desires. Growth and holiness. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. See, these three marks are the three commands in the text. The three imperatives. And so here it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Again, verse 16. And so are you really hungry for the word of God? Are you hungry for the word of Christ? Are we, are we hungry for Jesus and his word? Or do we have more of an appetite for other things? Are we hungrier for the things of this world? See, the things of this world, the idols will pursue, won't satisfy. They'll leave you hungry. But Christ and his word will satisfy. And so we need to cultivate a relationship with Jesus, pursuing him, so that we're actually more hungry for him. And not hungry for the spiritual junk food. How does that happen? It says, let, it says, word of Christ, dwell in us richly. Dwell. Dwell means to live in you. God's word must literally live in you. Such a part of you that it's like it's made its home in you. And when we are dwelling richly in the word of God, when it's dwelling in us, then our heart will begin to be transformed by the Spirit and our desires 
would change. You know, there's a parallel passage. We won't read it today, but on your own time. It's almost identical to this in Colossians 3. What we're looking at here, this paragraph, verses 12 to 17. If you look at Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21, it's, it's parallel. The exact same themes and, and commandments. And it's really remarkable how Paul is repeating to the church in Ephesus, as church in Colossae. And so in Ephesians 5, where he has his exact same words, there's only one difference. Paul changes the language ever so slightly in Ephesians 5. Instead of talking about the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, he says, be filled with the Spirit. So in this parallel text, the only thing he changes is, rather than Christ's word dwelling, he talks about the Spirit dwelling and being filled with the Spirit. So when we're actively pursuing Jesus, and we're doing that, reading his word, taking time to reflect on it, spend time in prayer, we'll be more filled with the Spirit. And so what is the result of that? What, what happens when that's going on? You see it in verse 16. That the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So when we're individually reading the word, meditating on it, walking with Jesus, killing our sin, when we're intentionally following Jesus, using the means of grace of the, the, the word and prayer, when we're living a life like that individually, it impacts the whole church. It impacts the whole body because we're part of one body. And so individually we're growing and it helps the church as a whole to be healthy. So what we're talking about here, he says that it results in teaching and admonishing. And he even mentions spiritual songs. And so the songs that we sing on a Friday morning, we're very intentional with them. It, you know, our... our Ministry team leader, so our, our deacon who oversees the worship ministry team, Ashid Rangasami. He doesn't just pick songs randomly. We meet regularly. We talk about the songs. We talk about what the message will be so that we select the scripture reading and the music, everything to be one theme. And we pick songs together that describe the glory of Christ, that describe his character, who he is, and then our response to seeing him in song is worship. And so this happens collectively. We worship together. There's another application of this, of this teaching and admonishing one another in our church, and that is home groups and discipleship groups. So at this point, I want you to pull out this form right here that you're sitting on, or the form that is next to you, or that someone maybe is holding that isn't going to be using it, so they're all over the room. I want, I want to pull this out. An application of teaching and admonishing one another. Like the word here calls us to do. We have two primary ministers in our church. Both are different kinds of groups. One is a home group. And you can see in the front, you put your name, your email, your children. And it says home groups coming together to grow together. And so a home group is a, a weekly gathering. It's a Bible study of 8 to 12 people, you will share your life with them, you will celebrate together, you will cry together, you will grow together, you will feed your soul weekly together, you will pray together. It's awesome. 
If you're not in a home group, you're missing out. You need to be in a home group. They meet in homes throughout the week, usually in the evening. We have a latest group that meets on Tuesday mornings. So there's different kinds of groups, but most of them are, are just, just general, couple, single, anyone can join these. So we want you to join one. Sign up, and I'll give you a call this week, and we'll find a group that suits your schedule and location. If you have already committed the church as a member, so if you're a covenant member of ECC Off-Island, then you can lead a home group. We can talk about that. If you're, if you're an attender, you can't lead one, but you can certainly be involved in one, and we expect everyone that's attending to be part of a home group. The other kind of group is a discipleship group. You see down here as well. Discipleship group, disciples making disciples. This is different from a home group. Discipleship groups are three to four people, much smaller, and discipleship groups are the same gender, such so as men and just women. They're much more intentional because they're a lot smaller. You will have a book to read, so there's curriculum, so to speak, and you will study that text. You'll read in the Bible as well, and you will pray, and then meet with your other two people that you're meeting with regularly. This can be at 5.30 a.m. at the Adnock, where I met with my guys for the last year. Or, I see some of you shaking your heads like, oh, it never happened. But they did, and they never missed. It was amazing. Hungry for Jesus. It was awesome. But it doesn't have to be 5.30 for you. It could be after the kids go to bed. It can be lunch. It can be weekends. Whatever fits your schedule. But you'd meet with this fellowship group, and Each one of you is teaching each other. Like it says here, teaching and admonishing one another. You would be teaching one another because all of you are going to share what God spoke to you that week and how you were challenged and your struggles of that week, but also your victories from that week. And you will encourage each other. But here's the beauty. These groups last six to nine months. When the group ends, you know what happens? We multiply. And each person in that group disciples to new people. And the discipleship chain continues. And a culture of discipleship, of disciples making disciples, begins to then take root in our church. And so if you want to be a part of that, I ask you to sign up. And you can give it to me or put it on the back table with the welcome team. And so we can only grow by following Jesus with other believers. And this includes serving them. We read earlier about being kind and compassionate, loving each other. Serving one another is a part of what that looks like. On the back of this form, you can see our ministry teams. If you are desiring to be in a leadership role, you have to be a member. If you want to handle the word and be in a teaching role, you have to be a member. But if you want to be a greeter, anyone can be a greeter. We will talk to you and hear your story, but we want everyone, even if you're an attender, we encourage you to be part of serving others and experiencing the joy of worshiping by serving. Lots of ways, home groups, missions team, kids, youth, prayer team, setup team, welcome team. If you can play or sing, worship team. We need help in every area. Communications, people that can do PowerPoint or make documents, make these handouts. I mean, we need people to use their gifts for administration. And that's actually a big need because God is called almost the entire communications team to the church plant. And so we're sending them a whole communications team. But we need one here too. So we're praying. And God's going to provide because he's faithful. But maybe he's going to use you.
Are you truly engaged in the mission that Jesus has given to us? To really grow, be like him. We can only do it together. Let's read the last verse, and we'll wrap up. Verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I will come back full circle from where we began. But you see here, is since we have been made new, new creations, we can now accomplish our original purpose in creation, to display God's glory through all that we do. Word or indeed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we live for. That's how we exist, to glorify Him. So by God's grace, we can do this together. We can do it as a church. May we be a church that is truly desiring the character of Christ, desiring the peace of Christ, and desiring the word of Christ for the glory of Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, we praise you. For you alone are worthy of our praise. We belong to you. We are not autonomous. We are not sovereign. We are desperate for you. Thank you for saving us and giving us a privilege of being sanctified, becoming more like your son. Make us a church that is more holy, that loves the way you love, has your character, your peace, and loves your word. And we desire it so that people will see and know that you are God. And we pray in the name of our Savior and our love, Jesus.